Michael Mulligan. Welcome to the program. Hey, it's uh, great to be here. The uh, The wheels of uh, legal justice uh, just never stop turning. They, they keep on going, even if they move to the afternoon show on the radio. <laughs> Two things to tackle on the segment today. Coming up, we're going to talk about a very interesting civil forfeiture case that involves a high-cost, a high-priced penthouse in Vancouver that was getting used as a nightclub in defiance of COVID rules. And it got in the news quite a bit. You you probably know exactly what I'm talking about if you followed that story. Uh, And that's showing up with the B.C. government trying to go after that condo now, that penthouse. So we'll get to that later because it's a meaty issue and we'll, we'll save some time for it. But first off, the Law Society itself recently held, uh, just yesterday held, its annual general meeting. And an issue of gender pronouns came up. Tell me what happened here. Yes, indeed. So the uh, the Law Society of British Columbia is the regulatory body for lawyers, uh, and as one would expect, it's got an annual general meeting. Most of which most of which are relatively sleepy affairs, uh, but the one that occurred this week uh, generated some controversy and, and lively debate. Um, and much of that debate uh, came as a result of a uh, changes to uh, the court practice directives that require counsel now to advise the court before each proceeding of what their preferred, what their gender pronoun is, ah. uh, and the same for their client. And so you'll hear that now. Uh, every time you go to court, you'll see the lawyer say, look, uh, my name is uh, such and such for the record, uh, and it's he, him, and Mr., right, for example, and my client's name is this, and how they uh, are to be addressed. Um, and so there was some pushback uh, to that, and uh, there was a resolution brought uh, by a couple of lawyers that thought that there should be more debate about whether that was a, an appropriate uh, requirement. Um, I should say one of the interesting little caveats there is that in the BC Supreme Court uh, and in the Court of Appeal, where this uh, is, uh, in the Supreme Court at least, it's a requirement to introduce people in this way at the beginning of the proceeding, um, the judges actually are referred to as either my lady or my lord which is different from what occurs in provincial court, where all the judges would be referred to as your honor. Uh, And that has actually been a controversial thing over the years. A number of years ago, some of the judges in the Supreme Court tried to move to your honor. So that was a neutral term. And I actually had a trial where we started referring to the judge as milady. She decided she wished to be your honor. Uh, and after a week, a directive came down telling her she had to go back to milady. Oh, so judge. she got a slap on the wrist. That's right. We went back to Milady for the balance of the trial. And so interestingly, while we have this practice directive in place that requires lawyers to advise the proper pronoun for themselves and their clients, they haven't adopted that for the superior court judges, right? right. Uh, and so I think that's an interesting, uh, perhaps, uh, gap here. Uh, the other thing which occurred, which was less controversial, is there's a thing that uh, you can look up uh, the names of lawyers and their phone number and contact information called Lawyer Lookup that the Law Society runs. And another resolution that was passed, which was less controversial, was the idea that lawyers should be able to indicate there what their proper pronoun is and also have traditional names listed if they wish to, including uh, characters that might not otherwise be available, and as well to allow lawyers to have the proper pronunciation of their name. Uh, so that people would be able to make sure they do that uh, correctly. Oh, I love that. So I should uh, provide a pronouncer. Correct. Okay. Uh, which is, I think, very helpful, right? Because, of course, if it's somebody you don't know and you're trying to make sure you respectfully address them in the way they wish to be addressed, uh, 
you're going to get off to a much better start if you can make sure you've got the right pronoun. Yeah. Uh, and and you can make sure that you pronounce their name correctly. Uh, and so I, I think that's a uh, a good advancement, and that one passed much more uh, handily. And so the, the law society won't be having further debate about the the mode of introduction. That's going to continue. Uh, be aware of that, right? If you have a lawyer, your, your lawyer is likely to ask you that because they are required to advise the court uh, at the beginning of each case uh, how their client uh, wishes to be uh, referred to. Milady and Milord will continue at BC Supreme Court, but uh, proper gender pronouns will be uh, discussed ahead of time uh, for court proceedings otherwise. Do you mind hanging on for just a second as we uh, we take a quick break? Do you mind hitting up another topic with us? Very good. Always happy to uh, always happy to do so. Because you got you got more stories to share. We got some time for you. We just got to get caught up on the uh, traffic, weather, and news coming up next year on CFAX 1070. All right, we got Michael Mulligan on the line. We're doing legally speaking. Uh, we've uh, moved it to the afternoon show temporarily for today with uh, Adam out with a cold. We're getting to topic number two now, which involves a penthouse in Vancouver that was getting used as a as a shady nightclub in violation of COVID rules, and now the B.C. government wants to go after it using civil forfeiture. What's the story here? Indeed. So this story involves the first person who was sentenced in British Columbia for breaching the Public Health Act orders surrounding COVID-19. And the fact pattern there involved uh, this man in Vancouver uh, who had purchased a $3 million penthouse, having put down just shy of a million dollars as a deposit. Uh, And in breach of the uh, COVID-19 orders, was essentially running a nightclub out of the penthouse. Uh, It resulted in the police showing up on uh, half a dozen occasions, uh, and uh, they eventually uh, found in the penthouse things like a DJ station, a a list of drink prices, uh, way too many people uh, uh, in in the establishment, uh, a dance pole, exotic dancers. He, he was running a nightclub. Yeah, this this wasn't uh, just a party so, at the house. This was a full-on operation. Yeah, it appeared to be a commercial operation. Right, there's a credit card machine. He was selling alcohol. Uh, it was a uh, it was genuinely a nightclub. And so, in addition to the fact that he was charged under the Public Health Act, the provincial government has now started civil forfeiture proceedings. And the way those work is that if somebody can be, if the uh, it can be established that a person has either um, uh, purchased something with the proceeds of unlawful activity uh, or is using property as an instrument of lawful activity, and both of those are really broadly uh, defined in the Act, and they can involve uh, offenses under any Act of uh, Canada or British Columbia. And so indeed, uh, a, a application to forfeit or take something from a person can be premised on amongst other things, a breach of the COVID-19 orders. And that's a part of what's going on here. And the provincial government is seeking to forfeit or take not only the $3 million condominium, but also various things which were found in the condominium uh, when the police eventually got a search warrant and were able to get into it, uh, including just shy of $9,000 in cash and various other things that they found when they went and busted one of these uh, parties that the man was uh, hosting in the penthouse. Wow. So when can you use civil forfeiture? Because, I mean, there's, it's usually when there's a crime involved, right? Well, that's interesting. You don't even need to be charged with or convicted of a criminal offense in order uh, for the government to start a civil forfeiture proceeding. Uh, and that's controversial. 
because, of course, if you're charged with a criminal offense, various things apply like you're presumed to be innocent yeah. uh, and you have a right to remain silent and the government has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you've done it. Whereas under the civil forfeiture scheme, none of those things are the case. It's just like if somebody was suing you for money. And so the standard of proof is just probably, it's on a balance of probabilities, and you can wind up having to establish uh, that what you've got in some circumstances doesn't meet uh, those th- those definitions of being proceeds of crime or the instruments of unlawful activity. Just like in a civil case, if somebody was suing you for, I don't know, uh, knocking their fence down or something with your car, you would be required to show up and answer questions about what you did and how that happened and were you driving the car. And so the same process could play out here. And so as part of the civil forfeiture process, uh, this man uh, would be required to show up and answer questions. Where did you get the money to purchase the, make the down payment on the condominium? Were you running this nightclub in there? How much money did you make? Uh, Did you declare that on your income taxes? He'd be required to answer all of those things, and the judge would only need to be satisfied that probably the proceeds or the money, for example, uh, were the proceeds of unlawful activity. They would not uh, need to be satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt. And so there's this low threshold, no right to remain silent. And so those things have all been uh, controversial in terms of Uh, whether the civil forfeiture process is a fair one. Uh, But here, of course, you've got somebody who many people would uh, agree was engaged in apparently pretty uh, antisocial activity, uh, hosting these large parties, in some case with, you know, two or three times more people than would be permitted to, to be there. Interestingly, he was having people apparently sign things the police found entitled COVID-19 waivers, Oh. which told people that they were that COVID-19 was contagious, uh, that you were committing an offense uh, being there, uh, and that uh, you could wind up uh, suffering bodily harm, including personal injury, disability, or death associated with the exposure or infection by COVID-19. And so it appears to be somebody who, with uh, full knowledge, uh, that uh, hosting these multiple large parties where people were maskless and drinking and uh, in this uh, penthouse, uh, with full knowledge of just how dangerous that was, um, he nonetheless decided to uh, go ahead uh, and host these things. Uh, and so, uh, you know, while there, I think, can certainly be controversy about whether we should take somebody's property away when they haven't even been convicted of an offense necessarily, and where there may be a doubt about whether they even committed an offense. It may just be probably they did here. If what the government uh, has alleged in these pleadings is established to be so, uh, I think most people would agree it's pretty dastardly uh, if you are fully acknowledging that what you're doing uh, is putting people at risk of death, uh, and nonetheless you've decided to run uh, an illegal uh, operation out of your expensive uh, penthouse. Um, I must say, reading the fact pattern alleged by the government, they allege that uh, he had employed exotic dancers, and indeed they found a dance pole And one of the items they're seeking forfeiture of, in addition to the $3 million uh, condominium, is a $5 bill the police found on the ground next to the dance pole. So really, they're leaving no stone unturned. Uh, And I should say, this may be a cautionary tale uh, for uh, businesses, uh, I think happily, not too many of which are in our area, but there may be some who are saying they're not going to uh, comply Uh, with uh, Public Health Act uh, orders with respect to things like checking somebody's vaccination status to come into a gym or a nightclub or a uh, restaurant. Uh, 
because the Civil Forfeiture Act is extremely broad. Uh, and this is alleging, this case, for example, uh, alleges uh, offenses under uh, British Columbia Act with the Public Health Act. Uh, and so you could see uh, other applications for civil forfeiture uh, where you have people who are not complying uh, with the provincial orders with respect to uh, COVID-19. If you had some business who said, look, I'm just going to not check people to make sure they're vaccinated before they come into the fill-in-the-blank restaurant, gym, whatever it might be, uh, you could see the government bringing this kind of a civil application uh, on the basis that uh, the proceeds earned there were the result of unlawful activity and seek to have them forfeited or taken. Uh, You could also have an argument uh, that things like the building or the equipment uh, used in the building amounted to instruments of unlawful activity. Uh, And if successful, those things could wind up being taken by the provincial government. So it would be the bold person who's saying, for example, I'm running my restaurant here and I'm not going to comply uh, with the uh, orders respecting uh, the checking of people for vaccination status in addition uh, to the prospect of being prosecuted and fined, uh, as this man was, right? He was sentenced already uh, for after he pled guilty to disobeying the court orders to stop running the uh, nightclub and to comply with the health orders. Um, he was fi- He was given a one-day jail sentence, a $5,000 fine, and placed on probation for 18 months. But that's not the end of it, of course, because now the province is seeking to take his penthouse Uh, and seeking to take the uh, money right down to the $5 bill uh, found next to the dance pole. (laughs) What a story. And we'll watch and see how that happens again as the B.C. government seeks the civil forfeiture of that Vancouver penthouse that was being used as a nightclub in violation of COVID rules. Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. It's been Legally Speaking, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure.